Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 8, Episode 10, Monty Nero and Mark Serby. then we are live and we're up and running and we are here to say thank you very much indeed for your company welcome along to talking con a cup of tea with englishman in san diego and it's a pleasure to have you joining us um yes it's been an interesting week um when it comes to uh, uh con news um updates we'll get into a whole bunch of things when it comes to thought bubble festival uh, also we'll uh, have a look back at um the uh the metaverse of last weekend, and also uh, the Lakes International Comic Art Festival as well. So it was a busy, uh, content-heavy uh, show last week, uh, but we're going to get into all of that with a little bit of recap. And we're also going to be talking about the London Film Festival, which has also been a virtual festival uh, this um, the, this past week. So we're going to be talking to Mark Serby about that a little bit later. But um, I think uh, we're going to have an interesting show, especially if you are a uh, comics creator, uh, somebody who's wanting to properly engage with their fans uh, and really kind of uh, engage in a, a different way because it's safe to say that uh, comic creators are uh, looking in a very crowded marketplace at the moment um, with uh, the the main model of comics distribution showing its weaknesses under the, uh, the weight of uh, COVID and also uh, with uh, so many creators wanting to connect very directly with their audience. They're finding that crowdfunding is the best way to do so. Um, but that means doing something different. And that's what our guest is uh, most certainly doing. Uh, we are joined by Monty Nero. Hello there, Monty. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Hey, we're get, we're doing, getting man? there. We are getting there. Um, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you joining us because uh, it's safe to say what you're doing with your crowdfunding efforts it's fascinating but also just the story in general i think it's, it's really uh, cool so uh, i mean we'll, we'll i think we'll first start with uh, just an introduction for yourself uh, because uh, the question i've been asking three questions uh, for people uh, joining us on the show so we'll start with our three questions uh, to kind of introduce people to you uh, question number one is what beverage do you have to hand uh, i have my cup of tea i'm I'm on brand with my uh, my cup of tea. How are you uh, imbibing today? Uh, just water. I've just been on a on a on a ten mile run, so I need to take on a lot of water just to uh, just to just to be able to speak. <laughs> well, clearly. if that's something I am going to be bringing up, I'm going to be bringing up the the, the, the running as well because uh, I think uh, a lot of people uh, in the creative arts are finding themselves difficult to kind of get themselves. The, the 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 blood rush, rushing to the brain, as it were. So I learnt I learnt I learnt the hard way. I I went the route of not doing anything but sitting at my drawing board, uh, working for sort of fifteen hours a day, and that does not end well, as no. many a comic creator will tell you. And it's not a joke because it means you can't work, right? Exactly. So it's it's a deadly serious business. So yeah, I run I run every other day now. So and it really helps just you know get your body out of that that hunched over position that i'm in all day when i'm drawing and writing comics so it, and i haven't had any trouble for a long time now so that's that's great 
That's handy. Uh, so, yeah, that's something, uh, like I say, this is what I was going to talk about with you later, but uh, thanks for giving us a little bit of a, a preview of that. Um, and also, uh, question number two is, as this is a comics convention podcast, <laughs> predominantly, that's how it was originally set up, um, yeah. can you remember your first comic convention uh, that you went to? Uh, did you go as a pro? Did you go as a fan? Uh, which one did you find yourself at? Yeah, well, two stick in my mind. Um... One was Monaive, um, which is when I decided to start making my own comics and do uh, Death Sentence. Um, so that really stuck in my head. That's a little Scottish festival in Inverness. And uh, the other one was like the first one I ever went to, which was the London UCAC um, you know, festival that Frank, uh, Frank Plowright used to organise. I'm particularly gutted about my convention attending history because <laughs> I missed those shows. Um, I, uh, I, yeah. I, came in, I came in a little bit too late, uh, so I, yeah. I missed. Uh, so I missed those, and I missed the like the comic marts as well down in London. So whenever I hear about the uh, the, the golden glory days of uh, British well, conventions, yeah, well, Frank Frank's a lovely guy, and they were they had everything you'd want sort of like in a in a modern convention but they were still quite small small scale and the great thing about it was everybody was there like everybody you could think of in you know, british comics and a lot of american creators would be there but they'd all just be like a million rounder you know a sort of school canteen or a sort of uh, a sort of uh, it was university they used to be in the university buildings back then um so there was a big cinema area auditorium sort of thing and you, know, you just sort of like wander out and bump into Dave Gibbons and there'd be Steve Dillon sitting down drawing a comic and Brett Ewins having a chat with, you know, it's fantastic. So it sounds amazing when you, when you sort of talk about it now, but back then, um, yeah, it was just very sort of low key as, as a lot of comic conventions are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know we, we'd talk about a little bit more of a, the, the more glamorous <laughs> side of the conventions, which is uh, San Diego, but I often bring it up uh, yeah. in so much the same regard because um, I have stayed at the uh, El Cortez, which is one of the yeah. first homes of the San Diego Com uh, Comic-Con. And people wow. look at the pictures that I post and it's a very glamorous and ornate. It's one of the oldest buildings in San Diego. Back uh, then you talk to people who went to the original San Diego Comic-Cons, and I can imagine it's a little bit like you, Kak. You think about the, yeah. these glamorous days of seeing, like you say, some amazing British creators and some international names coming over as well, Stan Lee coming over, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like the paint is peeling off the walls. The building is not in the best of states. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everything's a little bit, uh, a little bit more, uh, it, let's put it this way, it's a lot shinier in retrospect. But Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It used to get... Imagine. Used to get pretty manky in the. Uh, there was an all-night cinema showing back in those days. It used to get oh, pretty man. manky in there because everyone used to sleep on the floor in the all-night cinema showing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Into the Blue was saying the UCACs were great. They had a few in Glasgow too. Those were a trek to get to. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, just to quickly remind everyone as well, this is open forum as always on a Sunday. Any questions you have, do let us know. We've already got a couple in for yourself, Monty. Um, but the third question is about those uh, conventions uh, that you went to. Um, and you, you've mentioned some pretty big names there. Did you have any wobbly knees moments uh, of people that you met? Anyone that suddenly the, 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 you, go, you go a little bit cotton mouthed and uh, struggle? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird because you, um, especially when you start creating and writing and working in the industry yourself because you sort of end up sort of like 
having a beer and playing pool with John Wagner, and you're just like, Jesus, fucking hell. And part of you is just thinking, like, well, he's just a bloke and we're playing pool. But the other part of you is thinking, it's John fucking Wagner, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> reading this, it never goes away. So, And also, John Wagner, it might be a surprise to you, he has spent most of his life in pubs. So he is an absolute fucking demon at pool. <laughs> Do not. You know what? I, I I can see that about him. I can yeah. I can feel yeah. that. Yeah, he's a serious. I can, I can also imagine when I've seen interviews with him as well, because I mean, he talks about his mod days. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. so uh, and I can imagine I can see him in a like in a Brighton pub and just. Yeah. He's yeah. a proper dude. Proper dude. So yeah. um, probably the most um, tends to be because you see the American, uh, the the British creators quite a lot, and. Um, you know they're so down to earth anyway. You sort of you sort of get used to it. But uh, probably the one I was personally most um, awestruck to meet was uh, Dave Mazzucchelli, um, who nice. of course did uh, Year One, Batman Year One, and um, Born Again. And I I was just so in awe of his work um, and his skill. And the one thing I wanted to ask him, which I think a lot of creative people will understand, I wanted to ask him how hard it was to make something you know that brilliant and the answer he gave me was very satisfying he said it nearly fucking killed him <laughs> <laughs> so so that is why he's not gone on and done you know another 20 uh, year ones because um, yeah. he made it look effortless it look i mean you yeah. read those pages and it's just an effortless flow of beautiful almost perfect sort of sequential storytelling and... I've, I've not i've not met the guy um i think i've seen <laughs> one photo of him because he's he's very cam camera shy he's not somebody that will just yeah. have a photo taken of him left right and center he's not exactly one of those so like evergreen not... um, yeah. yeah he doesn't get out there as much um because the 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 thing that i always bring up when it comes to uh Mazzucchelli, and especially when it comes to year one the fact that he did that when he was 23 I know. It's I mean, how 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 baby faced was he when you asked that question? Because I uh, imagine it would be like going up and seeing and thinking yeah. to yourself, "There's this kid that's just done this." <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, he looked like a grown man because you know I was, I was pretty young myself. But um, <laughs> he uh, he did not disappoint. He was um, he's a very humble guy. I find that with all the best um, comic artists, they're always quite humble and they're always learning and they're quite self critical. Um, and people that are very full of themselves, they don't tend to develop because they think like, oh, I'm, I've got it all, I'm doing it all, and I'm the man. So, yeah. And their work just sort of stagnates. It doesn't really go anywhere. So all my favorite creators, um, uh, I admire their skill, but often they turn out to be really lovely people as well. I mean, I think that was one, um, I mean, I, I, like, I love dropping this name, the fact that I managed to speak to Bill Sienkiewicz over the course of the summer. Um, oh, wow. And and he, he came on and because um, I brought up the uh, certainly the tribute pieces that he posts um, when we do tragically lose somebody. And he was saying, I also use these pieces as well to expand the skills and not just use the same medium all the time. Yeah. Um, it's great that I'm starting to get my head around um, pa uh, uh, pastel crayons. And I'm yeah. going, when you're hearing Dave, when you're hearing the likes of Bill Sienkiewicz saying, I'm still learning, and you just go, that's... I know, that's I know, but that's why his work is still brilliant. And um, that's why he's always sort of done different stuff. He's always experimenting, different types of story. And um, 
I remember reading about when he first saw Toppy's work, you know, the uh, the European artist who does a very fine sort of um, ink work and sort of a lot of abstract, almost Klimt-esque kind of detailing in his shading. And he's just saying like, you know, I just realized he was in Europe to get an award for Electra Assassin, which is like his most, one of his most brilliant works. And, 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 you know, the work of a master, you know. Yeah. And he just said, I saw Toppy's work and I just thought, Jesus Christ. I'm only just beginning, you know, I, I don't, I don't even know how to do this. So it just, and you can see since the, after that meeting, you can see the influence of Toppy and a lot of the sort of um, detailing uh, Gustav Klimt type uh, details that he put in his paintings. You can see the influence of Toppy. And he said for a while I was over influenced because he just, he just blew me away so much. And that was when, you know, he was at the height of his powers. He was still, he was still uh, learning and pushing himself. Um, that's, um, that's the way to be. Absolutely. Um, for yourself, um, I, I mean, I, I love the fact that you very much wear a whole number of hats, um, writing for <laughs> games, uh, for comics, for, um, uh, for TV, um, for radio plays. You, I mean, you, 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 when you ask, I, the question I often like to ask at panels of creators um, is, what do you put on your uh, passport? How do you introduce yourself at um dinner uh, parties because there is still that stigma of um the comics you know i i do comics is that what do they still make those you know that kind of thing that sometimes comes up and people i find uh, it's interesting to hear what people's responses are uh, whether they're yeah. very bullishly proud about that they write for comics or uh, the, the the format or whether you say you are a writer how, how do you introduce yourself uh, when it comes um, to people Last ten years as a writer, and then people ask, "Well, what do you write?" And I would say, like, mainly comics. Um, so then, that's what I always try to do. I always try and do as many comics as I can, uh, especially create your own comics, because of course the massive pain in the balls when you're working in film or TV or games is um, you don't get uh, to be the sort of sole author of what you're making because it's like uh, there's a lot of money involved and a lot of people want to have a say in how it turns out um especially in games where you get things like focus testing and uh, marketing people getting involved um you can be very creative and you get paid well but um what i really want to do and what i've really tried to do for the last 10 years is just do as many creator and comics as i can and um that is because i want i want to create things that are like just a pure expression of how how um uh, we want them to be like the creative team sort of the the writer and the artist sure. on the comic so um <clears throat> that is uh that's very satisfying and obviously it doesn't pay as well it doesn't pay as well as working on a million selling game or something but i'd rather do the comics because i just find the per the satisfaction um i'm not motivated by by money uh or i definitely don't want to be famous so so uh what i'd like to be is like no, well known one day for um creating good comics and um uh i just try and make the best comics that i can and uh tell the best stories and everything that i do i try and make sure it has a certain quality and a certain magic to it certain originality and then um if i'm happy with it then i put it out in the world and hopefully other people enjoy it as well 
Yeah, I mean, I I came in uh, with your work, uh, and I'm going to bring it up on the uh, the screen as well, so people can see, uh, because um, I, I'm a huge fan of Death End. Um, mm. It's it's a story which, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting one, and it was, uh, and certainly when it was um, uh, put out there, um, it, it was timely because um, we were very, and it still is <laughs> timely today when you talk about um, uh, contagious diseases and how. It can yeah. affect you, and what death sentence does uh, with, uh, and what you've done with that story uh, is just uh, is so impressive. Uh, but also the fact that um, you did so well with that uh, with that campaign, um, and it's certainly, yeah. I think um, well, oh, this is the Lib uh, Liberty One and Four that we've got up on screen. But certainly the campaigns that you've run, um, they have gone well. Um, they've, but I think, like I said in my introduction, it's about an establishing. A direct connection with an audience, and that's what you do with your Kickstarters and with your crowdfunding. Um, how important was that from literally the first um, project going forward to make that connection, or was it more a case of learning as you went? Yeah, no. Um, well, as we've already discussed, the way um, I experienced the comic community is just very much as like a, a group of uh, like minded enthusiasts getting together and enjoying this wonderful medium of comics. And um, I find that, uh, especially just the, 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 when I started going to these cons and stuff, there's not really a great deal of difference between the creators and the fans and everybody tends to intermingle. So I've never had a thing like, um, you know, so I've always seen it as like a sort of community of people that are just into the same thing. So if I make a comic and I'm really excited about it, what I want to find is people that are equally excited about the same stuff. Um, and I hate I hate um, asking people for money. I hate doing that. So yeah, I, I saw um, that in uh, an interview that you did this week. Yeah, you said it, yeah it's kind it really, of like almost like a, a traditional yeah. British thing. It really makes me uncomfortable. So so you have to get over that. Obviously, if you're trying to to make comics and make sure you've got uh, enough to pay the artist and stuff, you have to get over it. You have to put yourself out there a bit. Um, but um, the way I cope with it is I just talk about. Uh, I make everything as creative as possible and then I talk about what I love about the story and why I think you would like the story and you know if you're a fan of this type of thing then there's lots of this in in the story and I what I'm trying to find is people that are as genuinely excited about pulp sci-fi as it is with this latest comic frenemies um genuinely excited about pulp sci-fi and 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 uh, making a really amazing new uh, science fiction universe and having some incredibly cool characters that you've never seen before in a in a sci-fi comic, um, and 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 uh, you know having a dastardly villain but making them also original, uh, and having lots of laser blasting but again making that original, and and uh, I'm just trying to find people that that share my love of that sort of thing. So and uh, the only people I want to back my campaign are people that are genuinely excited to read a comic like that um so i'm not trying to persuade anybody you know other than find people that that love the same stuff i love and then we can all share it and chat about it and uh that's the thing that i love about kickstarters is it's very much a community um and it's a really nice positive community uh, a lot of a lot of social media these days is quite toxic yeah um but when you get into the Kickstarter uh, website and the Kickstarter space and there's a comments section and there's um, messaging, 
um and then obviously you get to know people and uh, their handles and stuff and then you sort of um you're interacting with them outside of kickstarter through email and through um twitter or whatever or facebook um it's just a really positive group of enthusiasts about about comics sharing their 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 joy in 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 what you what you're all sort of experiencing so so um that's that's been a great um, find I got into Kickstarter quite late, really. I mean, when I did Death Sentence, I didn't know anything about Kickstarter. I'm not even sure Kickstarter was a thing. <laughs> certainly not. Certainly not in this country. I think for a long time you could only do it in America. I think. Yeah. Um, so when I did Death Sentence, I just went. Like I said, I went to this Comic Con in Monaive, um, which is organised by Rich Clements, and um, uh, it, it was um, it was just a really such a great experience um you know this fandom um and i was looking around for a certain type of comic that we could all sort of enjoy as adults that were into the same stuff and i couldn't find it and there was loads of comics there but they just they just didn't seem to be a comic like death sentence that kind of like reflected the real world and kind of interpreted superpowers but not in a super heroic way in just a sort of a very sort of, and not in a cynical way either which is the sort of 80s 90s approach but just I, in a I very did, I, did, I did come in from a slightly oblique angle there when i was introducing it um if you could just give people the elevator pitch so perhaps they want maybe uh, go back and uh, uh, yeah. explore death sentence yeah or well, death sentence is about a um sexually transmitted virus that kills you in six months but makes you um like super enhanced at whatever you're most interested in so if say you're you're interested in art you'd become like uh, potentially the greatest artist that ever lived but you'd only have six months to fulfill your destiny or, or not um same with like writing um, musicians all this kind of stuff so the three main characters in descendants are an artist a comedian and a musician a rock musician so um and what I did with that is I just reflected a lot of the stuff I was seeing around me, like in the fandom and in the in the real world, as far as like the language people use and the sort of things we talk about and um, the sort of attitudes and stuff and um, reflected it into the comic, but put it into the prism of a sort of um, really exciting sort of thriller. Um, it's more of a sort of like five minutes into the future thriller, I would call it, as far as like the tone of it. It's got amazing artwork from Mike Dowling, who is um, the perfect guy to draw it. Uh, he's he's it was so lucky to have worked with him on on my first book that I wrote, because the guy is a genius, and and he gave it such a credible sort of earthy, lots of dark shadows and noir, but also like good character acting and funny, and it's very satirical. Um, a lot of people find it very funny, and um, it basically sort of gives you a really a amazing sort of adrenaline packed edge of your seat adventure story and but at the same time it's making you laugh and it's very satirical about uh, the world around us um what i realized afterwards that really the first book is all about the noughties it's all about the society and the celebrities and the bullshit that was going on in the in the noughties and i kind of like just try and satirically dissect it really as uh but it's not it's not heavy-handed in any way i don't it's quite subtle in fact yeah some people don't even realize it is satirical they think the characters are brilliant but <laughs> most of the time i'm sort of pointing out you know um how sort of flawed they are 
uh, and, and having a lot of uh, fun with it. And Verity, she's the the lead character. She's she's the only sort of one who you could say truly has a um, you know um, a heroic kind of um, attitude. But only she's when she's a heroic character. In... I, I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Only when she's backed into a corner. Only when there's no other option. She'd much rather just have a cup of tea and get on with doing her artwork. But sometimes she's just like, oh, Jesus, I'm going to have to sort this out. So I think we all feel like that sometimes. And it would be Absolutely. nice if we if we could. Yeah. <laughs> Especially uh, given uh, the... I'm gone. Sorry. No, you carry on. Okay. Uh, I mean, the, the, the question that I was then going to ask then is the, the successful Kickstarter campaigns that I've seen and the people that are running successful Kickstarters, they rec while they recognize um, the communication with an audience and that connection with an audience. Um, then there's the sense, of, certainly from the successful ones, that they recognize that they are very much at the whim of their audience and that they, I mean, I know some uh, creators that actually well and truly go into the metrics of what they're buying and what, what people are actually yeah. investing their time, money and effort into supporting. So yeah. um, I, there's some creators I know that say, well, when I'm not, uh, I did this gothic horror thing um and someone turned around and said well we're not too keen on the horror or the, the numbers kind of showed that with that campaign the horror wasn't selling but they liked the gothic element so they went to they did a gothic comic uh, a, a comedy thing and it kind of like they adjusted with their audience how much of uh, of a, at the whim of your supporters do you feel yourself at uh, when it comes to your kickstarter campaigns uh, none at all. Yeah, I mean, you live or die by your own judgment. And um, if I, I, it's, obviously, I want people to enjoy the comic. And I, uh, uh, the art of writing is to entertain someone and to grab them in the first page and to keep them sort of gripped all the way through every single page turn right to the end of the comic. That is what I do when I sit down and write. So, so um, I'm always thinking about someone reading the comic. But as far as what it's about and what's going to happen and what uh, how I'm going to um, what I'm going to put on the cover and the rewards, um, I just think about things that would make me happy. <laughs> make me happy. <laughs> what would I really love to have? And uh, if it's something, and that way you get some original ideas that are sort of not just what everybody else is doing. Um, so um, I think that's important. I think I was reading some, it's funny you should say that because I was reading some emails and some texts earlier from a very respected indie creator. And I just thought, this is a fucking marketing seminar. This is bullshit. This is not. I, I, know, I think I know which email that could be. This was not about, this was not about comic creation or being an artist or being a writer or all the reasons, the, the entire beauty of comics is you don't have to do any of that bullshit. You just make something that you love and then you find people that love it. It's nothing to do with marketing or ticking boxes or, oh, this is popular. Fuck all that. That's bullshit. With comics, you just make the comic you love. You sit down with a bit of paper or a typewriter and you write exactly the comic you want to see and then you make it. And, um, that is that is what it's all about. That is what I do, and that's the sort of stuff I try and seek out. So, so all this other stuff is just, oh, Jesus, man. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we're going to get into um, frenemies uh, because, like I say, it's 
what you're doing with it, it's not only um, incredibly creative, but I can imagine rather time consuming <laughs> for yourself. Uh, but we'll also uh, get a, a couple of questions as well. We've got Solicitor Smeg who's watching. Uh, do you prefer to write for your own creations like Death Sentence or writing for the classic characters that you may have read when younger, like X Men and the Hulk? Hmm. Well, definitely the main thing is writing my own stuff and doing original things and trying to learn because like we were talking earlier um you're always trying to figure out what you don't know um i could write loads of comics like death sentence and they'd be very good but i wouldn't learn anything doing that because i've already done that and i've already figured out the dynamics between having three lead characters in a story and how that how that would play out over a sort of six issue series so i'm always trying to do something new so um that's the main thing but having said that, when someone rings you up and asks you to write the X-Men, that is a thrilling moment. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so, so um, I really enjoyed doing that. And uh, it wasn't something I sought out. It wasn't what I, what, what I got into comics to do. It's not my career goal is to sort of be a, a, a Marvel writer or anything. But um, yeah, there's just no way if someone rings you up and says, we loved your comic, do you want to write some X-Men, have you got any ideas? I mean, that's a, that's a really exciting, that's a really exciting week. So, um, and I must say the editors I dealt with, um, at Marvel, they were very, very cool. They were very enthusiastic. They were very knowledgeable about comics. Uh, they were decent people and I was really, really pleased to see that and to, and to have a good experience, um, working on those, those comics. Um, so yeah, um, but then um, I think after I did my last X-Men, I was very happy with my last X-Men and it really said something that I wanted to say about the X-Men and um, it went down very well. And uh, I managed to get both my daughter and my sister into the comics. So they are now nice. small parts. They're now small parts of the Marvel Universe. So that was quite cool. Um, but uh, all I wanted to do after that was just write some more creator-owned comics. And... Um, I, uh, they did invite me to pitch some more stuff, and I thought, well, I will pitch some stuff, you know, one day. But uh, what I want to do now is just carry on making creator own comics. I've got loads of brilliant ideas I want to get out there and things I'm working on. And uh, it's quite frustrating when you're a creative person because you can only do one comic at a time, you know, and you've got other brilliant characters that you want to show people, and they have to wait. They have to sit in a box for like three years until you finished doing something else. So um... don't, don't tell James Tynan and uh, <laughs> Donny Cates that, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, um, yeah, the, the, create, the creator-owned stuff um, is very much like the core of my being. Fair enough. Uh, we do also have Into the Blue Mr. saying, Batman Year One is the greatest uh, Batman story ever. Anyone who disagrees is just plain <laughs> wrong. Uh, Dan yeah. Berry responding, not killing joke. Um, Listen, I think a lot of you people haven't read um, uh, the uh, long, uh, long Halloween, and it shows, frankly. Mm. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Right. Um, I think then we'll uh, talk about um, uh, Frenemies because this is just – I mean, it's the latest campaign. It's the one that you're obviously uh, you're mm. online a lot for at the moment because you're wanting to uh, – make as many people aware of this as possible and uh, it's interesting as well that i mean number one it's it's past its goal it's got 25 days to go um and you're now into stretch goal mode or chasing the stretch goals um but i find it interesting about how you're doing it and also the fact that it's, it's two volumes um <clears throat> that you're uh, taking on and also 
the way that you're doing the uh, the Kickstarter page. Very quickly, explain what Frenemies the Lost Planet 1 and 2 is all about. So Frenemies is about seven rivals that um, are searching for a missing planet that um, um, will destroy the solar system unless they find it. So, so um, the, the, the dynamics of the story rely on the seven characters being very different and the rivalries between them. So this planet, which has mysteriously disappeared, um, the aliens responsible for that, their technology is so advanced that it basically looks to us like uh, dark magic. So um, we sort of focus on the effect that the alien technology has on the seven main characters as they're competing to find this planet. Now, only one of them can uh, reach the lost planet. So they have to decide whether they cooperate to make sure that one of them gets there and saves the solar system, or if they start to fuck each other up to make sure that they get there um, and they're the one that succeeds. So, um, or do they do both? Can they do both at the same time? Can they help each other whilst also subtly fucking each other up? <laughs> so so uh, that's the basic premise of it. So you can see there, there's a lot of scope for fantastic space battles, mercenary type behavior, um, a lot of character interplay, a lot of amazing concepts about how you make planets disappear and, you know, hidden universes within our own and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's the central idea of is your best friend your worst enemy when the fate of the solar system is at stake. So, so that is uh, the, the, the comic in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, I mean, very much like Death Sentence, um, from what I can uh, have seen and when I've read the, the updates as well, very strong um, female characters, very strong um, diverse uh, character lineup as well, uh, which yeah. you uh, in this. Uh, obviously, this yeah. did, I mean, it's a, that, that kind of comes, certainly with Death Sentence, it was that five uh, minutes into the future element of being very, uh, looking at a very progressive future. With this, um, it's creating a very diverse character lineup and then throwing them at each other. It's very much a case of having kind of like the, the toys fighting each other in front of you. Um, you could talk about the, that kind of um, character lineup. Yeah, you've got, um, you've got a diverse bunch. So you've got um, conservatives, liberals, you've got... Um some gay characters, you've got bisexuals, you've got straight characters, you've got people um, with different sort of um, attitudes to sort of uh, everything about about um, how to live. So um, I've got the characters, some of the characters here. So I don't know if you can see. Yeah, these sure. Are the, uh, these, are the, these are the wonderful uh, character designs by um, Yushan Lee. So she's uh, someone that I definitely wanted to work with on this project because um i'm i'm a fan I'm yeah a fan. She, she's a, she, she's an amazing artist and she she does a lot of work for um image and um um uh, dark horse and uh, she did some hellboy recently she's just she's incredibly popular she's incredibly talented and she's incredibly fast so these are all things that make for a great comic artist so she's already finished um the two issues that we're kickstarting at the moment so it's just a matter of um, I'm already stuck because we've hit the total. I'm already starting to get those printed, and um, the the plan is because this is um, 
think it's the eighth one I've done now as far as Kickstarters. So the plan is uh, we've got like a warehouse now. And we've got like uh, people to send it out to you. So, um, you know, you'll get your comics sort of um, at least three to four months after the campaign own, uh, ends. You'll be getting your comics and you can read them. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's great from that point of view. Um, this guy here, Hunter, he's probably the most traditional uh, pulp sci-fi character in terms of the way he looks and behaves in that he's like a very sort of muscular, square-jawed dude. And uh, he's a two-fisted hero. He's like uh, very, very good at the fighting and the laser blasting and he looks a bit like flash gordon um but he's uh bisexual he's the kind of like um a little bit like charlie charlie sheen in the body of um dolph lundgren and he's he's um incredibly um he loves himself basically he's uh he's incredibly full of himself he's very rich he's american he's entitled and you know he goes around being you know it's very useful to have him uh, on the t uh, in certain situations, but at the same time, he's deeply, deeply annoying to a lot of the other characters. So um, we've got all kinds of all kinds of different characters in there. We've got um, Minerva. She's a professor, an English professor. She's very eccentric. She's um, very funny. She's wild. Uh, she she's a lesbian. She's a punk. She's um, she's very much someone that uh, you don't want to fuck with. Um, and um, she's got the most experience of extra normal phenomena and um, strange things happening. And so when the when they get into this mystery with the aliens, there's a lot of sort. There's a certain bit of X Files to it as to you know what's going on. So when she when we get into that, she's really the best person to take charge. But you know, with Hunter there and with uh, Professor Carlton Dunbar, who's a Nobel Prize winning astrophysicist. Um, He's actually key to the whole mystery in that he's been motivated in all his research by his son disappearing in a comic shop in 1996. So, so um, he's very driven to sort of prove his theory that there is another uh, universe hidden within the dark matter of, of our own universe. Um, and he's driven to the point of kind of ruthlessness. So, so um, there's a lot of attention between, you know, who's leading the team and what they should be doing. And then, of course, they start to splinter off, and and um, yeah, it all gets they get they get sort of stuck in the middle of a sort of intergalactic situation. In the same way that I've thought through the characters and their history and who they are and where they're going and all that kind of stuff, um, the universe also has that sort of similar depth as to who all the you know races that they all meet are and what their history is and the conflicts they're involved in and stuff. So it's quite a deep, deep. Um, I'm just, I'm just going to say, from what the, 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 the certainly, like I say, uh, the, the updates that we I've been seeing and reading, it, fleshing out the world, which we'll get into in a second. Uh, what I've, uh, it's, it's incredibly rich um, with the story. I mean, I can only imagine how long this has taken in, in noodling around in your head, because this, yeah. is, this, this is a, this is a lot of post-it notes on a wall somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that is how I work. I mean, I write, I write everything on little cards. Um, so I'm organised. And the great thing about cards is you can move them all about in front of you and reorder the story. And you find juxtapositions between things that make the storytelling a lot more exciting and, and flow better and stuff. Um, I find that a lot easier than just having everything in a digital file. So, um, but as anything that I do, anything that I do, every writer will tell you that 
whatever you're seeing in the comic or the book, um, there's a whole world that you figured out in order to make that book kind of possible. You have to sort of think through the entirety of a character's life and then you show them the most exciting part of their life, which is only a small bit, but you, you understand, you know, everything that came before that. Um, so you've got that stuff whenever you write a story and it's really just a, a thing with a, this, as I said, I don't, I don't like asking people for money. So I thought with the updates, instead of sort of saying, oh, we've reached this total or whatever, um, uh, I just give you another story. So, so every update is a story uh, that, that builds on the story of the comic. And yeah, which I, is what I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring now because uh, I, I, I've been teasing this all the way through this conversation. <laughs> and I apologize uh, for people for, for me being a little bit oblique about um, what, um, uh, when we talk about what uh, Monty's doing different with the, uh, the campaign. Yeah, uh, I mean, we've got, uh, let's have a look here. We've got our new episode goes live. So this was, what, two days ago. But then you've, I mean, yeah, you've got a full blown chapter. Uh, to the story um, right there. And if I uh, uh, take it back uh, another page, because we've got ourselves a new story. I, I like the fact, yeah, new story, and it's free, just to, to remind you. And, yeah, <laughs> just this, the, the, the fleshing out of the world, um, fleshing out the characters, and, yeah. like I say, adding um, new elements to it. I also like when you were on an interview earlier on this week and you mentioned that you like your um, – yeah, cliffhangers. You like, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you like doing the uh, the dot 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 at the end of yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, it's one of the great thrills about pulp sci-fi, isn't it? It's um, the old um, Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers serial uh, comics, then the serials on the radio, and then the sort of um, the classic Universal, um, you know, black and white sort of serials that used to be in the cinema. Um, so it was always cliffhangers. And I think that's one of the great things about Pulp Sci-Fi is, is uh, the cliffhanger. So uh, with these daily updates, they drop sort of uh, 12.30 Monday to Friday. So um, if, you, if, you, if you back the, back the project, you, you, you get those, just, they just appear. You don't have to do anything else. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's a key part of, of um, me having fun uh, making this, this project. And then hopefully, from all the feedback so far, people people seem to love it. So um, I was worried initially before I did it. Perhaps people will be confused, you know, you know, because I'm writing in the story about how we're raising money to um, rebuild a laboratory uh, to 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 con reconstruct an alien device to communicate with the 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 characters trapped in another universe. And I was thinking, Jesus, I hope nobody thinks we're genuinely raising funds on this Kickstarter to rebuild a laboratory. So so I was a little bit uh, unsure how it would uh, go down. But the reason why I did it was because um, I could see that people wanted to be entertained. I could see when people when people do Kickstarters, I, the first one I did, I thought they'd just, they'd just pledge and then leave and then wait for their comics. But they don't. They They really want to interact and they really want to be part of the campaign and they want to talk to you about stuff so um it's a really good opportunity to just tell them more about the characters and to tell them more about the world and and then to uh, all the updates are sort of in the fictional the entire kickstarter is in the fictional world of the comics so so everything is 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 told through that that that, that mechanism which which is just a lot of fun it's really fun sure. for me and it's really fun so far for everybody who's been part of it have, were the updates planned um, prior to Kickstarter launch, or is this something that is? Uh, I, I really hope that the answer is that the, this is a story which is almost evolving as the Kickstarter is ongoing. 
Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, that's the nature of storytelling. Um, you always have an idea of where you're going to end up and what your story is, like the bigger picture. So whenever you write anything, you always have that sure. before, before you start. Um, but then it's like you've got uh, a destination, but how you get there and the detours you take on the way, that's all the beauty of storytelling, and that's all part of the, the craft of storytelling. So, so um, I love doing that, and uh, so far it's been enormous fun for me because, um, you know, I'll just sit down in the morning. I think I've got to drop another one on by 12.30, and I'll just um, – take it wherever feels right, feels most exciting. And, how, how, long, uh, how long do you spend on the updates? Um, is, is it over breakfast? <laughs> no, it's sort of like um, probably each one is like uh, maybe two to three hours, something like that. So it's sort I've of... Got um, I've, got, I've got this thing image in my head as well, because um, we mentioned at the beginning as well that you, you, you're also a runner. Um, yeah, I've got I've got this image of you having the headphones in uh, with the plugged into your, your iPhone, dictating the stories you're running, <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah. and, and running along. And um, well, it's one. I'll tell you something. It's one way of getting some alien names for characters with Siri mishearing what you're saying. Um, so I, I've just got this mental image of you just going for a run and dreaming. It's not like going into that other place as you're running. Well, uh, running is actually a fantastic way of having ideas. And um, I've looked into this quite a lot. So basically, if you want to have original ideas, what you need to do is do original stuff and live an original life and experience original things. And then you've got a lot of inputs into your head that then will sort of mangle about and come out in an interesting and original way. So it's up to you, you know, with the life that you're living. That will directly impact on the stories that you're making. So um, I find with things, um, when you're stuck, if you're at your keyboard and you're just writing, you get stuck into a mode of, of thinking. And the the way to break that and to go away and to come up with an idea is to go and do something completely different. So I run along the coast a lot and I just sort of run and I look at the coast and I feel like, you know, miserable because my legs hurting or, or, or whatever whatever you're feeling that day or because it's raining or whatever you look out at the sea and then you know you get into a mode of you're sort of doing something but you're not doing something you're conscious of you know making sure you're not crashing into anybody and but you're so that means that your mind is taken up with something and then that means that your thoughts have to take a slightly different route as to how they connect together and then you'll suddenly find as you're running along you have a load of ideas about this story that you were supposed to be writing this morning. And uh, when you get back, you can write it really quickly. And I find that all the time. I get all my best ideas when I'm running, when I'm washing up, when I'm dozing in bed in the morning or late at night. So that's where the whole thing about having a notebook. So you always write down your ideas. Because in, that, in those times, your mind is literally working in a different way than it does at other times because sure. it's got mechanical tasks to distract it or because you're sort of going into a state of some somnambulance. So, so um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a key part of it. And if you actually think, how long does it take a human being to write a thousand words? If they were nonsense, anybody could write a thousand words in about 20 minutes. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not complicated. It's, 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 it's very quick to write a thousand words. The thing is, they have to be a thousand good words that really f uh, make a fantastic story. So that's the that's where the difficulty comes in. Yeah. So so if you go away 
and you think about it and you come back with some really good ideas, you can actually write that story twice as quick than if you just sat down and tried to write it because you'd just be getting kind of stuck and editing and re-editing and it would stop, start being stilted. So having a really clear idea in your head of what it is you're trying to do and getting inspired by an original thought, that is a key part of, of being a writer. Fair enough. Um, in that regard, then, uh, when it comes to the updates that you've got coming up and um, how far you've got to go, like I say, with the campaign, the campaign, uh, if we bring it back up on the screen, we've got 25 days to go. And you were talking about them, these updates coming every day. Um, what's your feeling so far about what you've covered so far? And uh, do you feel that you... Um, I mean, I'm, I was, I'd be concerned that perhaps you would be giving away story which could quite happily go into Lost Planet 3 um, and mm. just and, and have, I'm not saying giving it away, because at the end of the day, it's still that relationship with an audience who is, mm. is backing you. But mm. um, the, the keeping of, um, good, thinking of a good story idea and going, actually, hang on a second, I could really roll with this idea yeah that's where the beauty of having seven characters comes in um, <laughs> this is why i wanted to have seven characters because um i've never written anything with seven characters and it's really hard to have seven characters and to make them all real to give them all distinct voices to have them all be part of the story without any of them feeling neglected or or, or whatever um and to still get a nice bounce and flow to the story so it doesn't feel like bogged down with any exposition or anything so as a writer that was the main thing i wanted to sort of explore with this but of course i found that with the beauty of seven characters is that whatever situation you're in you've got seven different perspectives on what is happening so i can write a scene from sunny's point of view about um, well, you can come you go all, you can go all russian with this yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I put a story up there on Friday, which is from Sonny's point of view. Um, but also in that scene is Kai. So in the comic, um, you'll see the same events, but you'll see them from Kai's point of view. And one of the things I always do with my stories is when you see a, a scene from a, the point of view of another character, you suddenly realize that what you thought was happening wasn't what was happening, and there was something else going on. So that's how it's going to work. So you're going to get these events uh, that interlink, but you're going to learn more about what's actually happening as you see them from each character's perspective. Fair enough. Um, the campaign itself, um, it's got itself 25 days to go. Um, you, um, obviously, with Kickstarter, there is that um, element of uh, a uh, script stretch goals and what other elements to kind of continue to coax people into uh, the campaign. Um, what do you have coming down the line in terms of any additional bits and pieces that uh, people would possibly be seeing as part of their, their backing of the project? Uh, it's mainly going to be artwork, um, gold foil kind of rewards. So I'm really into at the moment getting gold foil onto my artwork and onto covers and things so i'm experimenting a lot with that already i'm getting some stuff sort of printed and some sort of finishes done that i want to show people later in the campaign so i think gold foil if you do it right it looks really classy 
and it's something that you definitely want to keep and it, it has to be on some quite heavy stock just to work so it's a really feels like a really substantial reward when you get it um mm. this is our brilliant villain villain the marchioness i am so happy with her she is brilliant well, i mean uh, it's like it's like when i said uh, i'm a fan of yishan's work i mean yeah <laughs> yeah this is why yeah i yeah. if anyone's not following uh already you really really should and pay very close attention to what they're doing because yes yeah, absolutely blowing and it's out of, out, of, out of control absolutely amazing yeah yeah she is um it's so important to have a brilliant villain in a sci-fi pulp story and she just she's just i'm so happy with her i'm so she you she's introduced in this new this new campaign and um she's just everything that i hope she'd be she's kind of uh, got all the classic characteristics of a villain but there's also loads of other stuff that you will no, never have seen before that we're going to do with her and the society that she comes from um and um you know how she thinks and like as you know from all my characters i don't i don't write uh two-dimensional villains uh everybody no one thinks they're a villain so from her, her point of view she's trying to save the universe so so she's she's the hero of her own story and uh the 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 frenemies are just sort of uh uh, in her way in, uh, in in succeeding in what she's trying to do so um yeah we're gonna have an awful lot of fun with her and she already there's like three characters in this where i just feel that they could totally sort of carry their own book already yeah. um but we're just gonna see them initially in uh in this um in this ensemble with uh, the lost planet storyline Fair enough. Um, the other thing I'm, I'm really excited about this, um, like I said in my intro, um, it's a very busy um, crowdfunding uh, landscape at the moment. Um, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of creators are finding, are, are turning to Kickstarter and crowdfunding to connect with an audience. So there's a lot of campaigns out there. But this, it's, um, it's very affordable to jump in. Lowest tier is £3. Uh, and it's not extortionate uh, i mean you've got your the print first edition you've got the two P digital pdfs and it's eight pounds uh, I, I think that's really exciting i mean the, the there we go the digital deluxe which is a list which barely covers the page when i'm scrolling through here and it's it's 12 quid it's not extortionate and it's uh, affordable which nowadays um as we're getting further and further into the year and further and further into uh, the the global pandemic and how funds are going that's an important aspect uh to yeah, people yeah. come in and uh, take on these stories and read these stories and it's not going to bankrupt them uh, doing it yeah absolutely um i know myself because you know i'm an artist so a lot of the time in my life i've been skint and and uh, if i want to buy something there has to be you know if it's not three quid there's just no way so you've always got to have something uh for sort of every backer and you want people to get good value um but just as there's like lots of good value rewards you also want people that genuinely love the comic and they want something special so we've got rewards at the higher level that are uh, more expensive and they're genuinely unique items like we're making this book which is like um a reference tome of all the concepts and the best stories and the um character in-depth character stuff and um scripts from this comic and uh, all the concept art and stuff so 
that's going to go in with the the comics themselves and that's going to make a book that's kind of like a sort of encyclopedia of everything that you know is going on in the in the frenemies universe and that's the book that i'm going to use i'm going to get a hardback of that and i'm going to use that to refer to when i want to know something or have forgotten something about what what happened at a certain point in time so there's only going to be uh five hardbacks and five softbacks so um those are the highest tiers you can get you get loads of other stuff with them as well but that's that is something that i would really treasure if i was really into a into a comic because uh, it's something that i know the creators are using and valuing and also that nobody else has really got yeah. and then at the very very highest tier you can get yishan to do uh, an original artwork for you and as you can see she's amazing and uh yeah, i just asked her you know how much do you charge for commissions and um we added that on to the to the price and then we got the the highest tier that's the that's the that's the price of the highest tier so um yeah, she's she's uh she's. I don't know if you've ever seen her at a convention. She just sits there with a huge crowd waiting around her and just draws these amazing full color pictures. She's she's not easy to approach. If anything, she's busy. <laughs> she is always busy. Yeah, um, yeah, but, yeah. That's um, true. Uh, it's always but it's always fun to yeah just stand around and watch her work because yeah. very 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 impressive to watch. Um, I, I'm going to point people to it. We're going to put the URL up on the screen, kickstarter.com slash projects slash FO2 slash Frenemies, The Lost Planet 1 and 2 Explosive Sci-Fi Fantasy. Um, it's a, a fascinating project. I'm really looking forward to seeing. I mean, like I say, it's, it's already reached target. It's now everything uh, to develop from there. Um, I'm also really excited to continue to read the updates. And, and see the story develop because I think that for me, it's 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 not just the cherry on the top. It's not just gravy. There's some. It's real solid uh, storytelling, and it really is fleshing out this incredible work, world. I'm looking forward to carrying on reading it. Monty, thank you so much indeed for coming on and talking to us about not only your work but also frenemies. It's it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, where is the best place for people? I mean, I, I could say where's the best place for people to follow the project. It really is absolutely the Kickstarter. Uh, but certainly for your own um, social media, is it Twitter, Facebook? Where's where's the best place that you call home? Well, it's all Monty Nero, which is M-O-N-T-Y-N-E-R-O. So it's uh, at Monty Nero on Twitter, Monty Nero, uh, two words on Facebook, and then the website is www.montenero.com forward slash frenemies. And uh, you've got all the all the stuff there. You can read some of the comic and get links to other things that might interest you. So, uh, yeah, that's probably the best place. Excellent. Well, I mean, hopefully, what I'm looking forward to is uh, for most of the um, guests that I've had on, which are doing uh, Keystarters, is um, obviously you're producing these books now uh, for an audience, but I'm looking forward to when we get back to conventions, when you can, oh, yeah. have, them, mm. when you can have them by the table and uh, people can yeah. experience them and kind of come across them at yeah. a convention online. So yeah, fingers really... crossed for 21, and uh, yeah. hopefully we'll see you behind a table and showing us frenemies and more chapters of Death Sentence, please. Yeah, if you, yeah, if you definitely. Yeah, appreciate that. Brilliant stuff. Thank you so much, Lee, for coming on. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your Sunday, sir. Thank you. Excellent. See ya. Take care.
And there you go. That's the um, URL right there. Once again, do check it out, um, not only for the campaign as is, but also the updates, because you really are getting some incredible storytelling effectively for free uh, by just following along the, the Kickstarter campaign. It's, um, it's a, a really novel way of keeping engaged with your audience. It's not just um, the the daily grind of having an out, uh, a link coming through or something into your inbox saying, oh, well, please do keep donating or please do keep backing us. There's so much more and there's, there's sort of real rich content and real rich world to it. So do follow the project. Thank you very much indeed to uh, Monty for joining us. Right. Um, we're now going to bring on our second guest who I've uh, been looking forward to talking to for a while. It's great to have uh, the man rejoining us because we have plenty to talk about. And you can put your fingers down, sir, because we're not having any swears. Yeah, no swears on this show. Um, I should have told Monty that from the start. But no, <laughs> we, let, we let him fly. So tell what, we'll, we'll, all, we'll all just dive into it. We've all grown up now. We're, we're all into uh, swear mode. But there we go. Mark Serby, how the devil are you, sir? Uh, that's not a question you can ask in 2020 anymore, unfortunately, Leonard. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah, that's not, you know, anybody who goes, yeah, I'm all right, is lying. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, you can't ask that question. Uh, the ultimate I mean, answer is, just so I'm here. Know, yeah, just so people know where you are. Uh, I mean, I'm in Yorkshire, uh, so that's um, tier two straight off the bat. Um, you're Essex, just outside yeah. Essex? Where, where, uh, what's Essex. your, what are you in at the moment? Uh, we're in tier two as well, so we're exactly the same as you. We can't see anybody indoors. Uh, we can meet up to six people in our gardens, but for anybody who doesn't know, it is very cold here in the UK. We're entering the winter, so nobody wants to meet in the gardens. So, uh, yes, if uh, yeah, so that's that's where we are basically. Fair enough. Um, which I think for film fans, especially who are attending the London Film Festival, is probably a good thing because then it's all being done indoors. It's all done through screeners and links and stuff. And that's pretty much where we are with um, all sorts of stuff and nonsense when it comes to um, virtual conventions and virtual festivals. And we'll get into that in a second. But um, I do want to quickly talk uh, about this subject. And I, I can't wait to see that rise smile on your face. There it is. As we talk Walker Stalker, yay! It's One of our the, it is. It's the gift that keeps on giving, just as you think it is dead. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, you know, it is. It does what it says on the tin. Just as you think it's dead, it comes back around again like a zombie, and it's from the death. And here it is once again. And I mean, but the thing is. Who would have thought we had this news? This is the weird thing. Nobody expected yeah. this news. Okay, so let's give the uh, the quick rundown, the over the bit of history. Um, Walker Stalker um, Con um, was the brainchild of uh, a, a man whose name now completely escapes me. I'm sure Michael just James uh, Fraser. There you go, James Fraser, um, podcast um, host who made lots of connections with the Walking Dead cast. And off the back of that, um, set up a live show, uh, a convention based around the Walking Dead, Walker Stalker Con. Um, from that, he then grew and grew and grew, or extended his reach, not necessarily um, within his actual um, abilities, or at least within the abilities of the uh, the convention landscape and what um, then happened. 
Um, he definitely uh, put a lot of money and investment into it, but it was not reciprocated or basically there was just, it was the dream that broke. Uh, I mean, I don't know if uh, Mark, you want to kind of add to that. I mean, I, I, I think I've been a little bit diplomatic there. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, it started to fall apart about two years ago here in London when uh, people were not getting what they had paid for. Um, guests were cancelling at the last moment. And these were big guests as well. You know, uh, somebody like Jeffrey D. Morgan, who charges a lot of money for a photograph and autograph, things like that. And people had paid that up front. And within, you know, days, people were demanding refunds and they didn't have the capital because they had spent out so much money to fly these people over to the UK. Um, so they were already so they were already paying money out before they'd actually got it in, to be honest. And that's where it started. That's when the House of Cards started to fall over. And it, it, it continued back in the US as well, um, where people were not turning up and yet they had sold tickets for it. They had sold autographs, they had sold sign-ins, et cetera, you know, things like that. And then it escalated even more last year where they had sold tickets here in the UK and nobody turned up. And then all of a sudden it just it exploded into a case of, you know, I mean, even here in the UK, there, there were people who are owed thousands of pounds. Yeah. Um, so heaven knows what it was like in the US. Um, and it basically went to ground. Uh, James Fraser deleted all of the posts. The Twitter accounts went dead. Um, people tried yeah. to contact him. I mean, and... I mean there, was, there was some elements, certainly to the social media, where he was putting on such a brave face, or at least he was trying to maintain. I mean, I think you and I remember that uh, moment when they said that, um, okay, uh, we may not be having the conventions as much, um, or maybe the shows aren't as popular or whatever, but we're going to continue this as a um, pop culture um, mm. experience where you can follow along on our social medias, we'll give you all the updates, and you just suddenly go, you're almost living in some kind of alternate reality of your own. Yeah, I think that was the problem is that he thought Walker Stalker was a continued viable source when, you know, the, the show had, pardon the pun, almost died a death two years ago. You know, as we know, it's on its last season now. Um, and then they created Heroes and Villains and they were going to uh, ingrate that into that. And, you know, it all seemed fine. But then people were jumping ship from Heroes and Villains as well as in the talent were jumping ship. So it was it became a real mess um, it became uh, if there's a dictionary definition in the convention landscape of toxic yeah the just the brand alone yeah um became that uh, it it was it was something it was the third rail you did not want to go remotely near which is why yeah. this this the news this week is mind blowing to me Mm. That's. I mean, I can understand someone taking on. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you're talking about The Walking Dead. It's come to its final season. The, 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 certainly, the the shuffling is coming to a halt. But you've got all the spin-offs. You've got the films that are coming down the line. You've got other content that's coming. So I can understand there is still a platform for it. But the actual Walker Stalker Con brand itself, it's the third rail. So this is where the news, um, I mean, was this yesterday? I can't remember. Was it yesterday? This is Friday. Really Friday. Friday, because, you know, me and you, because it turned up on social media late Friday, and then all of a sudden me and you were having this conversation over private messaging, like, 
uh, where has this come from? You know, uh, what the fuck is going off, et cetera, et cetera. And then it turns out that obviously the the guys who run uh, Sopranos Con and Movie Mob Con um, have bought this brand um, and have put out this. Uh, you've got it there on the screen. You know, they, they, they put out this statement that basically says, you know, we, we believe that there is life in the in the walking dead um and well, 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 let's let's read it out this is uh, michael motor who's the ceo of three fams productions we're excited to have the opportunity to resurrect walker stalker <laughs> yes yeah. and to regain the trust of the show's millions of fans we're looking forward to delivering a high quality virtual convention experience that's an interesting turn of phrase um in partnership with fan favorite walking dead Horror and sci-fi stars complemented by additional unique content via our app until it is safe to gather in person again. That I can kind of understand because at the end of the day, um, when you're wanting to invest in something, when there isn't the physical conventions there, you can effectively just bid on the brand instead of kind of really having to find the funds to put a show on. You can kind of do it virtually. You can come up with a brand in Photoshop. You can put it out there as a virtual event. And you're not having to invest in volunteers. You're not investing in signage. It's all done on the short scale, short-term scale between now and March, April, whenever we feel that we're in, still in this very much the virtual uh, fan experience. It's a canny decision. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's um, and the thing is, don't forget, Walker Stalker Heroes and Villains was on its arse. Let's let's not forget that. So the, probably the amount that these guys paid for it is less than what you even think about <laughs> it. That's the thing. But I think what I found most interesting, and I think this is what me and you were talking about more than anything else on Friday night, was the fact that they've taken on their debt. And they're gonna refund. Yes, and now, the, that's uh, interesting. Let me see if I can find it because somebody sent me the link. There's actually a dedicated um, site for people to go to, um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to dig this out. Uh, I mean, just the fact alone that they would turn around and say something like that suggests to me that that they've got big plans. Uh, they think that they can get that money back uh, and put Walker Stalker Con as an entity, as its own entity, back into the black. Um, but there's a lot of money to to be dishing out. I mean, we're not just talking a couple of hundred quid, a couple of hundred dollars. You're talking about thousands of dollars to lots of people here in the UK, in the US as well, in Australia. It's it's uh, I, I was quite shocked about it. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, Sopranos Con, obviously. I mean, I, I'm I'm very pleased that I got to interview Michael earlier in the year for the for the convention collective. You'd, you'd expect you'd expect the likes of Reed Pop with a, someone with a large bank account to do mm. this kind of thing. But then is it a case of these these people who do these let, let's call them medium scale events have 
the facility to do that because they can turn around very quickly. You know, Reed Pop, somebody like that. Really yeah. Uh, yeah. That, you know, somebody like Reed Pop is, I mean, it's like turning a tank around, basically. You know, you look how long it took them to buy MCM here in the UK. Um, so, them doing something like that, that would take probably a year of negotiation. Whereas somebody like, you know, uh, Sopranos Con, well, 3FAM is what we should call them. Um, they probably just went in and it probably took them a month of negotiation from start wow. to finish. And that was it because they have that freedom that, you know, it's it's ultimately when I spoke to Michael, it's three guys. It's three guys who they've known each other for a long time. So they have that freedom to turn around and go, well, we'll do that. Or it's not working. Right. We'll leave it. We'll we'll walk away. And it's it's interesting to see uh somebody i mean let's face it they're relatively new on the scene as well yes you know, sopranos con a couple of years old movie mob con which obviously was meant to happen this year didn't um so it's yeah it, i think people had forgotten about walker song because they were like yeah listen this is just dead in the water and then to bring this news back is kind of interesting kind of a big deal really because it's like wow okay um, I'm, I'm even surprised that they brought up james's name in the actual post uh, let's uh, let's cover very quickly the rest of the post um they say that ticket holders from previous walker stalker events were either which were either cancelled or postponed but have not been re reimbursed for their tickets may visit walkerstalker.com to request a refund mm -hmm. as fans ourselves we know how important it is to regain the trust of the amazing walker stalker community and that is why it is Walker Stalker's uh, first priority to reimburse every fan who purchased tickets for cancelled events. To that end, the monies Walker Stalkers Walker Stalker take in will be used immediately to refund those parties until all are reimbursed. Holy crap! Okay, so that's that. And then um, Crystal DeVito, who's um, uh, operations for Three Fans, decade of experience in the fan convention industry. Walker Stalker was an incredibly successful fan convention, which unfortunately fell on hard times understatement there we go in speaking with its co-founder james fraser we understand what made walker's talk is successful and what led to its closing and we believe our team can bring back the convention that so many fans once loved i'm stunned that they mentioned his name i'm stunned that they actually mentioned him i, I like i say we're talking third rail here <laughs> i don't know i th i think they have to do that because then people are like, okay, it is a completely separate entity. Because if they if they turn around and they said, we've spoken to the people that run Walker Stalker, I think some people might think, well, who is that? Because as we know, over the past 18 months, the, the names changed. It was different people at different times, but it was still the same person behind the scenes, even though apparently it wasn't. Um, you know, so to include his name... I think suggests it's a completely clean break from the guy who built it up and then burnt it down very quickly. Should they have started with Walker Stalker or should they have done the or try to approach what I feel is the stronger brand, which is Heroes and Villains? Uh, difficult to know, I think. Um, or is it a case of fix the thing that needed fixing the most i i think it's probably that to be honest because you know heroes and villains seem to chug along just quite nicely it, you know it, it sort of did okay they had a few big names not loads but it was relatively busy and i, th I think it probably broke even or maybe made a little bit of profit whereas walker stalker was just you know i mean it was like being on the deck of the titanic in that last year it really was and everybody <laughs> just looked at it and just thought 
how are you ever recovering from this? So I think them to turn around and said, look, Walker Stalker. And let's face it, Walker Stalker was the first name out of the out of the gate. It was the name. It's still the name that everybody knows. Yeah. OK. Um, obviously, this is in development. This uh, it's fresh news. It only got announced on Friday. I'm gonna hold fire on making any i mean we've, we've, i have made some snap judgments already uh, in the in the show but i'm gonna wait to see how fast they start refunding people yeah um what kind of priority they're gonna put to in what order um whether it's the oldest um cases and just blitz through or i mean if i find that they actually have just gone you know, control v and pasted it to everyone and just refunded everybody and just got it done that's a sh shit ton of cash to just outlay but also if you noticed on that thing it said walker stalker llc so it's a yeah. limited company so basically if they think we can't do this they have the facility to just turn it basically fair enough <laughs> that's the cynic in us there is we it, go. Well, yeah, it is. At the end of the day, we've we've seen this happen. I mean, we, we have. There's the, there's the. I think I think that's the thing about it between yourself and mine, just sort of like following this story. We yeah, have seen so many twists and turns with it. Yeah, anyway. and nobody nobody saw this coming at all. No. That's the thing. You know, like th this is the end of the usual suspects. Oh, Friday, yeah. uh, Friday evening when the, the news dropped, the, the amount of woes and yeah. wow and yeah. what the hell came out online was yeah. incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll follow it. We'll keep an eye on it. I mean, I'm, I'm a member of a number of the fan groups. I'm a member of the community. I'll keep my eyes, ears to the ground and see what happens. I'm sure Mark will as well. Yeah. Um, in that regard then, I mean, there's two things that have been uh, happening this weekend. Uh, Danbury um, has been attending the San Diego International Film Festival this weekend, uh, except for one drive through movie each day. It's all online. Uh, so that's one way to uh, run the uh, uh, International Film Festival. London has been doing theirs uh, this weekend, or this week, sorry. If you can give us a bit of an overview of that, um, who's running it, um, what the kind of films that uh, have been well, um, shown. It is a huge film festival. You know, it's right up there with New York, basically, in terms of the talent that they they bring. They don't uh, they don't have small films. It normally runs for ten days. It ran for ten days again this year, um, and the majority of it was online. Uh, they did some screenings in person at cinemas around the UK. So the opening film. Uh, was online. Uh, it was Mangrove, which is the new film from Steve McQueen. Um, and it's going to be on the BBC in November. It's going to be on Amazon Prime. Uh, sorry, it's going to be on the BBC in the UK in on November and then on Amazon Prime in the US around the same time. He's made five films. It's going to be called the Small Axe Anthology. So it opened with that. Uh, you could watch it online. You would pay. I think it was I think all the tickets were £9.99, maybe £10 or maybe a little bit more for the uh, uh, what do they call them? gala screenings. So you could watch it online. You had a certain amount of time to watch it. So it depended on what the film was. You either had three hours or you had three days, something like that. Um, but some of the screenings were in cinemas. So Mangrove had a screening all at the same time around the UK at certain cinemas that 
uh, were going to take it. So it was shown in London, it was shown in Nottingham, it was shown uh, in Bristol, and you know all, all of these different uh, independent cinemas basically and they were doing that all the way through because i went last sunday i actually went into london to the bfi because that's the only place you could see the new disney pixar film soul which as we now know is only going to disney plus but they had the world premiere at london film festival they didn't show it online they only showed it in the cinemas for really? one night yeah there was two screenings in london but then there was a one screening at all of the other cinemas around the uk as well so I actually went into London to see that. Um, but the rest of it was, well, the majority of it was online. It finished today uh, with the uh, finishing film, which was Ammonite, starring Kate Winslet. I have to say, in terms of how it worked, I found it quite seamless. Um, I, I saw a couple of people mentioning about um, site crashes or yeah, um, uh, films film not loading or just general one or two issues. Well, yeah, I mean, that did happen a couple of times. Um, it happened bizarrely. Everybody logged on to see the new Pedro Moldovar film, The Human Voice, and it came up and it said, you need to update your browser. So, like, all of a sudden you saw Twitter explode with people going, no, I've got the most updated browser and I've been using it for, for like, a week now. Why have I got to update it? So, all of a sudden, everybody was like, I don't understand what's going on. And then you could send in um, uh, a, a message to the tech team so i sent one in whatever else sent it and then it turned out that they'd uploaded it incorrectly um unfortunately what happened was twitter all of a sudden just burst into life again and said right everybody refresh and it works um so a couple of small hiccups but nothing major the rest of it seemed to go nicely um the only problem i found was some of the films that weren't included included in my press pass i paid to see so you know 9.99 but it was quite slow in how you got the link to see it. So you would go onto the BFI website, you would pay for it, and then they would say, right, we're going to send you the link. You log in to the BFI player, and then you play it. However, what happens is you don't get that link straight away. It could be anywhere up to 10 minutes or an hour or several hours. I mean, fortunately, most of these films were online you know, for, for a few days, but it was a bit clunky. Um, and then you had to sign into the BFI player. So if you don't have an account for them, you then have to create an account for that. And then you have to press play and then you have to enlarge the screen. So it was it was a little bit clunky in that regard. But in terms of the films on, you know, playing on time, it was all very nicely put together. I've got to say, you know, films would start at nine and finish at nine and things like that. So it was like 12 I, hours. I could, I could almost say that this is very indicative of the BFI. It's very traditional. It's very, um, uh, let's put it this way. If I, when I've been to the BFI, I haven't actually seen a screen there, but it has the curtain. It's, it has, I, I fully expect John Cleese to come out and start selling Albatross. Um, it's, <laughs> old, it's old school. When, when you go and look at their, um, the, the merch that you can get from yeah. the BFI, it's all in Trajan. You know what I mean? It's, it's all very kind of, it's safe. I mean, it's, it's, it it's very, it's very British. Abs absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because I think it's what... a BFI, and I, I know I'm kind of being redundant there, but it's very British. It's oh, the absolutely. way it's handled itself. But I, I think what they do is they try to uh, keep them, you know, keep 
their brand you know the british film institute alive by the film festivals that they do because they do this one and they do the uh the, the other one in february which is the lgbtq one um with the films that they get so these films have come from far and wide there was films from mexico there was films from spain there was films from america from canada you know or, or portugal and all of these different places but these were films interestingly these were films that i think would have got a big reaction anyway so when they announced the list i was like wow these are these are big films you know ammonite closing it soul obviously um there was other films in there like a british film called limbo um there was documentaries as well so it was kind of it was kind of interesting to see that they still had the ability to get films like this but show them online only you know like one night in miami which is obviously getting huge uh, buzz at the moment the the Regina King film they showed it online you know and the, I think that shows that they have some power to turn around and say look okay we get it it's a huge film but you're going to get more viewers if you watch it if you put it online for us I think that's sure. the thing so they were certainly I don't want to say pioneer but they were pushing it with that and I've noticed that film festivals in the U.S have been doing that with some of these films as well. So One Night in Miami has been available to, I think they showed it at New York as well. They showed it at the Hamptons Film Festival. There was a couple of others in, in the US as well. So I, I think the BFI have to be applauded for turning around and going, look, look at the situation we're in. If you put this online, you're going to get a bigger buzz than if you just put it in a cinema. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was nice to see Soul on the big screen. I'm one of the few people who in the entire world has seen that film on the big screen but it did not generate anywhere near as much buzz as when One Night in Miami dropped online and people watched it. People were talking about that for three days. People yeah. were talking about Soul for like, you know, 24 hours. So I think that shows the importance now in, the, in this new era of, of films on the big screen, how important showing a film online is and how important that can be for your awards contention. Sure. Um, I'm going to let you noodle about this question uh, while I uh, do, do the next bit of discussion. Michael P is asking what your favourite film of the festival was. Um, but the, uh, you're talking about um, the, the marketplace for the film festival because um, the vast majority of film festivals, they are there to um, not only... Um, get buzz going and get people to see these films, but also possibly generate um, interest for potential purchase for moving on and distribution. Um, yeah, I know that the BFI is one of those festivals. It's very much like uh, uh, the, the European festivals in that this is where certainly independent film can also find a audience uh, or at least find a means of distribution. Yeah, distribution in the current landscape and moving into 2021 is a damn sight smaller um, in terms of the, the landscape because there's no, there's, the screens aren't there anymore. Um, whether we're going to see um, places to show independent film is <laughs> still very much in the debate. Uh, I mean, here in, the, in Yorkshire, here local to me, the closest to me is the Picture House in Bradford, which is part of the National Media Museum. Um, which is a very small, very intimate, very high quality uh, screening room. Um, it's one of the few um, kind of like, it has all the certification. Um, and uh, uh, let's put it this way, it's got a nice big uh, piece of uh, uh, window 
looking into the projection booth. Uh, yeah, it runs, it runs 70 mil as well, which is not many yeah, places run 70 mil. Really. It's, a very, it's a very proud cinema. Mm. But at the end of the day, that's one screen. Um, and I yeah. think the closest one beyond that is 20, 30-odd miles away. The numbers of screens are decreasing purely because of the landscape we're currently in. Did this film festival then feel like um, a showcase of films that you will be seeing not in your cinemas, but in Netflix, on Amazon Prime, on other streaming platforms down the line? Was it feeling like this is now your first step to the digital um experience uh possibly there were certainly films there that had already been picked up for digital distribution right. um there was some on there that had been picked up certainly in the in here in the uk by movie um and you know they were art house films they were the type of films that you would expect to see on there um but it's no bad thing for some of these films to go straight to streaming because let's face it you put it in cinema it, they're probably making a loss on it let's face it you know sure. They do the DCPs for it. They send it out. All of a sudden, they're down a couple of thousand pounds, and they probably make a couple of hundred quid, something like that, you know, the, the US equivalent. So putting it on there gives anybody the ability to watch it. Anybody who goes, oh, I vaguely heard that that was good at London Film Festival. Well, I'm paying whatever it is, you know, $9.99, $14.99 a month. I might as well give it a shot because... What have I got to lose? And if I don't like sure. it, I just switch it off, which is good. And I think it opens up the landscape for us to see more foreign language films, which is definitely what we need because, you know, foreign language films, obviously, we get some great stuff from it. Um, so I think um, I'll be interested to see what they do in the future. I think what they probably what would be a really good idea for them next year is to go back to the old model, because, you know, you can't beat being in the cinema. We all know this. And you can't beat being in the cinema, seeing a film at a film festival for the first time, and you have that sense of awe about it. But also, then you have these smaller tiered films where they could turn around and go, we're going to show this online, and you can pay whatever it is to see it. That's the thing. Um, what they can do as well, and this is what a lot of film online film festivals have been doing this year, is, uh, is geo-blocking it. As well so you have to have an ip address here in the uk the hamptons i know that you have to have a, a an ip address that was in new york somewhere and somewhere else basically um so you know that they, they are able to geoblock it that's the interesting thing um I, it's difficult to know if we're seeing it shift in terms of the type of art house films or not i'm not sure it's a good question but going back to something that you were talking about earlier actually um was the fact that it is a film festival that is there for a lot of films to be sold, for films to move on and actually get a full theatrical distribution. Well, Interesting. It's, it's, it's kind of it markets itself. Um, when I've looked at the the, the uh, website for the the, the festival, uh, this is the BFI festival. It marks it marks itself very much like a, a can, like yes, um, like um, the. Uh, uh, the Miami Film Festival as well. That yeah. is somewhere you take stuff to get sold. Yeah, I mean, they've always got the big films. That's the thing. They're, they're always going to do that because that pulls the people in. But they want them to come and see the big films. But at the same time, oh, you've got four hours free before you go and walk the red carpet to see whatever it is. Go and see this. Interestingly, um, what was it, three years ago when Moonlight came out? Three, four years ago? Whatever it was. Moonlight played at the BFI Film Festival and had no UK distribution. 
when that was played. That was in October. Then in, and then somebody saw it at the BFI Film Festival and went, we need this film. This film is absolutely brilliant and signed it on the back of that. And then obviously it went on to win, you know, Oscars and whatever else. Um, but that's how important a film festival like this can be. I will give you an example, actually. And this sort of goes back to the question that Michael P asked, actually. One of the best films I saw uh, at the London Film Festival was a documentary about Delia Derbyshire. Now, people are going to say, who is this woman? Who's she? Shared the link for this, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I sent it to you because I think you'll be fascinated by it. So Delia Derbyshire worked for the BBC in the 60s, in the 70s, and in the 80s. She was the person who created the theme tune to Doctor Who, okay? The original theme tune. But what the documentary showed was her life. It was uh, recreated um, with actors, but it was all done from tapes that she had recorded of herself talking. But also it showed you how she got the job working in the BBC and everything else like that. But she was a pioneer in electronic music. I had no idea about this woman at all. But it just on the thing, it just said pioneer of electronic music where people like the Chemical Brothers and the Af an Aphex Twin have referenced her and used her music. I'm like, wow, who, who is this woman? The documentary was fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. For, Do for Doctor Who fans, you'll love it because it shows you the slow build-up of how they got the gig and what they needed to do and all of the in-jokes and everything else like that. For anybody who doesn't watch Doctor Who, I don't watch it, I have to say, I still found it utterly fascinating because this was a woman who was working in a male-dominated industry, in a male-dominated company, you know, the BBC at the time, and basically pushed forward with all of these different ideas on how to make you know, these electronic bleeps and swirls and different things like that. It, I was, really... it more, was it more about Derbyshire or what, did it also cover the history of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop? Which is No, the... it was all about Delia Derbyshire, uh, which nice. was great because, you know, it was, as I said, it, it had real tapes of her talking and describing her life and whatever else. And she was very droll, very, you know, wry with stuff. And, like, people were like, because uh, she died many, many years ago. So she recorded herself and these interviews were replayed. And I just found it utterly fascinating. But those are the types of films that film festivals like this really do well because they go, well, we're not too sure how it's going to go. And then the way that they word it in their little descriptions, you go, that's interesting. That sounds really fascinating. I don't know who this is, but I'm going to watch it. And, you know, with something like that, it would play perfectly on the BBC. I mean, OK, it does dig at the BBC quite a bit. <laughs> But it feels like, you know, that's the type of film that you should be seeing at some of these film festivals. And it would work perfectly online as well, I think. So going back to Michael P's question, certainly the Delia Derbyshire documentary, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. There was a British film called Limbo, which was like a, a dry comedy. So if you're a fan of Napoleon Dynamite, it was very similar to that. It was all about um, immigrants coming in. Has that been sold? Because apparently Sky Cinema was expressing an interest. If they get it, fantastic, because it was all about immigrants who would come to the UK and were put on a remote Scottish island while they waited for their visas. And they were just, you know, these people had come from like Syria and places like that. And all of a sudden they're, they're in the in Scotland freezing. I mean, it, it was incredibly funny and it's meant to be funny. However, I think the best film I saw at the, at the London Film Festival was One Night in Miami. Um, there was no getting away from the fact of the importance of it, um, but also the brilliance of the acting, because it's it was a stage play. That's the thing. It was a stage play, and then Regina King took it on and adapted it for the screen.
but it still feels like a stage play because it all takes place in one hotel room where four iconic African-American people had one night where they discussed everything, basically. And it is brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. I can't recommend it highly enough. And I mean, it's um, my understanding is um, it's on Amazon. It's going to be on Amazon Prime in January, but I think it's getting a small theatrical release on Boxing Day. So the day after Christmas Day around the world. I could be wrong, but that was the word on it. But I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. And it just kept me at, just I was completely gone with it. I was smitten with it. But you know, that's, that's the beauty of the film festival is that you see films where you go, okay, I've heard it's good. And then it blows you away. Even watching it at home, you're like, I understand the scale of it. Oh, and that reminds me, Wolf Walkers. I mean, that was that's the best animated film of the year. If you're not, if you haven't seen any cartoon saloon, films you should do secret of kells is brilliant song of the sea is incredible wolf walkers is absolutely stunning uh, that's going to be on apple tv at the end of november as well so no one's um, yeah, see, this is the problem. This is the problem. You know, I'm a huge fan of Cartoon Saloon and Tom Moore's work. It's it's absolutely stunning. Nobody does artwork like him anymore, unfortunately. Um, but putting it on Apple TV, nobody's seeing it. Yeah. That's uh, that's yeah, but but going back to it originally, I, I think certainly this hybrid version that they created here in London, where you could go to the cinema, you could see certain films, you know, the films that they wanted you to see on the big screen, I, I think worked very well. Uh, I have to say that all of the measures that they put in place to go were very good. It was one way in, it was one way out. You never crossed paths with anybody. They took seats out, so you were never sat next to anybody either. It was all very nicely put together. I have to say, actually, every time I've been to the cinema here in the UK, I felt incredibly safe. I mean, I was I, the first time I went, I was genuinely worried. I was thinking, I'm not sure about this. And even on the train, I was thinking, yeah, I might might go back home actually i'm not sure about this but you know hey look it's christopher nolan i'll make the sacrifice and i have to say since then i i'm like great i i'm more than happy to go many times um it's not a problem but it is if you feel safe that's the thing but that's a whole other discussion if you feel uh, safe you yeah we, 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 we've kind of touched on this with our own yeah. conversation about this uh yeah uh, if I, you feel I, safe I, 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 yeah I, I currently don't but i think that's just because i see just generally people i mean i think it's more a case of um if organizations uh take things seriously then and implement things well that's great and it's a case of uh how uh, an organization conducts itself um yeah i have been to a cine world where my mum was nearly poisoned by somebody who didn't cook her chicken dippers enough. And it's it's this uh, plonker behind the counter that is a popcorn monkey. And frankly, um, I'll wait till there's a little bit more safety involved. But yeah, okay. yeah. no, that, that's that's understandable. That's understandable. I, I completely get that. But sorry, very, very quickly, um, yeah. while we carry on talking, but I want Dan Berry. Dan Berry is also uh, he's watching. He did take part in the San Diego. Uh, International Film Festival. Uh, he's mentioning that they, they were geo-blocking films as well. Dan, can you let us know about the content that you saw? What were the highlights? What were the films that you... Were they showing um, um, uh, Seoul? Uh, were they, what, what were they showing? What were the highlights for the San Diego International Film Fest, which I know was happening this weekend? I have to um, say, you know, even though obviously they geo-block stuff, there's ways around it. Yes. 
um, I, which I which I have to say I did try um, uh, a couple of weeks ago because I was curious as to how it would work. And I tried and I'm like, OK, there are ways around it. It just means here in the UK, you have to get up at like 3 a.m. to watch something. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm desperate to see, uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins slowly die. Uh, I know it's meant to be an incredible film, but. Yeah, I'll probably wait. Um, yeah. You know, my, but, first, my, uh, personal, yeah. my personal favorite was when they did the uh, the press. And Dan will tell you about this. And do you know what? I don't know if this will burn any bridges, but I don't care. We're past the the sequence at that point. Uh, they did the uh, the press for um, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Um, you will get a link. Um, you will get that link, and you can only watch it for three hours past the uh, the time. Uh, which point here in the UK. Uh, uh, yes, I managed to get the link to go to to watch uh, Bill and Ted, and at three o'clock in the morning, I came downstairs and I watched Bill and Ted. Dan will let you know that that link was still available four days later, <laughs> so it was a case of yeah, hey, yeah, Not yeah. But you know what? It's an interesting idea, and certainly for those in the industry, if you have a big film like that and you want to put it out, a time locked screening works it kind of sure. works you've just got sure. to remember to take it down you do uh, aaron, <laughs> Na uh, yeah. aaron neighbors why are they geo-blocking i thought they were international law good question yeah, good the, question the the content may be international the audience not so much yeah that, that's exactly yeah. it yeah it's um there are different rights with different companies uh in different countries actually i mean the, the rights to Disney films, Disney Pixar films here in the UK is much, in terms of showing it on TV, is much more complicated than, than in the US. Even though we have Disney Plus, it's still incredibly complicated to try and get a Disney film here on TV, whether it is on cable or whether it is on standard TV. Um, so yeah, that that's basically why they geoblock it, and also they say because of piracy. But you know, look, yeah. you you could, I mean, you're not going to stop it. It's just not going to no. happen. But I'm I'm pleased to see that nothing that was shown online at the London Film Festival has leaked online. The same with um, some of the US ones as well. I think that's good. Fair enough. Um, we'll do another five minutes five ten minutes and then we'll uh, wrap up the show um but uh, i do want to move on from i mean okay just very quickly one sentence your thoughts on the international or the london film festival yay nay thoughts? yeah i i i really enjoyed it actually i think i had much many more highs than lows in terms of films uh, i thought the hybrid version worked very well i sort of hope they keep some of it for next year so um in a year where Let's face it, there was not ma not many huge films. There was still a lot of films that really piqued my attention. And for that, I'm pleased it went ahead, even though it was online. Fair enough. Right, which kind of leads on to the next question. Um, considering that um, the question is about next year and about what the content is going to be available, the film festivals will give an indication of upcoming films and what we can expect down the line. Um, did the London Film Festival demonstrate a dearth of content for next year? Considering that, I mean, admittedly, there are some big titles that have been pushed back. Uh, so we're going to be seeing a lot of backlogging of, say, some of the big titles from 2020, Bond, um, Dune, Dune uh, 
Um, Fast and the Furious 9. Fast and Furious. Um, what was the festival telling us about what we can expect next year? Uh, it, it doesn't tell you anything. The thing is, those types of films don't really appear at the London yeah. Film Festival. They're they're not, you know, they're just not their bread and butter at in that all. Case, in that case, then the big titles and the the things that would have been pulling in billions of dollars, um, are we going to have the places to show that kind of film and uh, that kind of numbers? Um, in which uh, I know this is a big question, um, but have we now seen a permanent shift in the way that um, the film industry will go forward from 2021? There's no, there's no yes or no answer to that. Um, two, I, I think well, two well, things. What's your, what's your gut feeling? Um, it's difficult to know. There's, there's two things actually to answer that. One, next year, um, a lot of those films are going to come out. 99% of those films are going to come out regardless of whether your local theatre or cinema is open or not. Um, the problem you're going to have is there's going to be too many films. So there's going to be films out there, big films, that are going to make very minimal money because next week is an even bigger film that I've been waiting weeks and months and years to come out. So there's going to be films that crash and burn next year and you're like, wow, how did that happen? because the 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 calendar is so full that's the problem um and then that means that in 2022 the calendar will be quite empty apart from animation which is fine by me i love animation um but there will be a break there certainly will be um but yeah i don't know how it will be going forward um, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see if we are going to see the likes of Marvel um, or Sony or um, any of the major companies investing 100 120 million dollars into a film anymore so when, do you know what that's when we're, really... not, when, we're, when we're not going to be getting the same returns you're not going to be able to guarantee a billion dollars for doom we're not going to guarantee a yeah. billion dollars for wonder woman we're not going to guarantee a billion dollars for black widow so good question actually and you know what thinking about it uh, as some people may know disney theatrical district uh, uh, department has now been told that the only films that will be on the big screen are your tentpole films, as in anything through Marvel, but not anything really. Um, some of the Pixar stuff, some of the the Disney classic animation, uh, the the original animation studio, but a lot of it is going to go straight to Disney Plus now. So you're going to see films where you're like, I'd love to have seen that on the big screen, Mulan, for example, and it's going to go straight to Disney Plus. There's going to be a lot of that. Disney's stranglehold on films on the big screen feels like it's coming to an end which is good news for other studios and i'll tell you who it's really good news for it's really good news for netflix and the reason why is because netflix you know they turned up and they changed the game and everybody went oh they're not putting them on the big screen they're not putting them in theaters this year here in the uk Netflix have put more films on the big screen than two major studios. OK, that's going to happen more and more. They're going to start putting some of those films 
on the big screen for two or three weeks and then it will be on Netflix. They've done it with the trial of Chicago 7. You remember they did it last year with The Irishman and Marriage Story and Dolomite is my name. They're going to do that more and more. They're doing it with Mank as well later this year. So Netflix turned up, sort of revolutionized the, the, the distribution mold and everybody moaned about it. And now they've kind of gone back to the old distribution mold and are kind of keeping a lot of theatres alive. Just a thought. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Michael P. Black Widow works fine for the small screen. Exactly. See, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Who wants to see that on the big screen? Be nice. But if they turn around and say it's going straight to Disney Plus, you go, OK, fun. Well, let's put it this way. Um, when uh, Mulan got um, you, there was charging for Mulan to go to Disney Plus, um, I didn't pay for it. Um, and um, I haven't watched it yet. Uh, but if. But if um, Black Widow uh, showed up and said, oh, it's nine ninety nine," yeah, I think I'd find a tenner from somewhere. I'm yeah, sure it's, not, it's, it's not going to be nine ninety nine. Let's face it. If you're paying, what was it, nineteen ninety nine for Mulan, Black Widow, oh, you know, I mean, that's the thing. I, I do feel like Disney's pricing is slightly out of whack. Um, they might need to drop it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Michael's right that, you know, Black Widow goes straight to streaming okay yeah fine let's see what happens yeah um i find it interesting that uh we're going to be something like 16 months uh between the release of no time to die from billy eilish to the actual <laughs> release of the film and yet still nobody could sing that um uh, <laughs> uh you you put a gun to somebody's head and nobody would be able to sing billy eilish no time to die which i find uh, intriguing uh, Dan Berry, no major studio films being shown at the um, San Diego International Comic Fest. Oh. The biggest one was only the drive-through, which was Nomadland. Yeah, yeah, they showed that at London Film Festival online. Yeah. Okay. And he yeah. also mentions that um, Bill and Ted is still available. The, the, <laughs> the link is still up and running. <laughs> Hilarious. Hilarious. Oh, yes. Oh, and Michael P., um, this is about uh, Disney yeah. Plus. Their pricing is out of whack. Yeah. It is. It is. I mean, it's the problem is, I think their pricing, they look at a family of four. And yeah. ultimately, the, the most, the majority of people who go to see Marvel films and something like Mulan would be a couple or somebody on their own, like myself. Um, yeah. You know, and you're only paying probably a tenner. Something like that. I mean, I'm surprised that they didn't actually put a tenor on uh, Hamilton, uh, yeah. to be honest. I'm stunned they didn't uh, th they put that out for free. But I think for myself, the main reason why I didn't want to pay for um, uh, Mulan is because the films that they have put directly onto the Disney Plus service, um, if I'd have paid £10 or £19 for Artemis Fowl, um, right now you'd be seeing the rubble of the, the the disney office office in the uk um as it would accidentally burnt down uh from um uh, a mysterious figure in a in a cape that uh, threw a molotov cocktail through the front door um i i would have been slightly offended if i'd have paid money for that thing the only but, time i've heard mulan and artemis fowl be discussed in the same sentence weird well that's because um there are Polar ends of a shit stick. Uh, so there, you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dan Berry, some of my favorite Marie's not counted shorts were uh, before, during, after. 
uh, The Outside Story and Eat Wheaties. So I don't know if any of those uh, showed on your radar at London. Mm, no. Uh, okay. No, and nothing. Michael P. Hamilton is incredible. So they, yeah, yeah, I think we're talking also a cultural landmark. And like I say, I'm, I'm, when cultural landmark and free are in the same sentence uh, from Disney of all people, that's interesting. That that's that's a but but don't forget the deal for Hamilton was straight to streaming. Fair that enough. was the thing. So slightly different. Yeah. Right. Um, I, it's, I, it's been an interesting conversation because, like I say, it's just been an interesting year for cinema, and it's mm -hmm. going to be a continuing story for cinema. Uh, it's also been great to talk to you about Walker Stalker. Uh, I think these are both stories that we could gladly have you back on to talk about down the line. I'm hoping that um, it's not two months down the line and we're talking the same thing where we're still uncertain about its future. But something tells me that's on the cards. So that's um, that's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. So there we go. Mark, thank you very much indeed for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Um, yeah. If you could let everyone know where people can find you online, so we'll, we'll, we'll go that way. Yeah, but best, best, place, best place to find you. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Mark underscore Searby, my website, MarkSearby.com, which doesn't have that much on it, but it's got what I do, basically. Um, then film reviews every Friday in the UK in the afternoon on Phoenix FM within Essex, uh, Friday later afternoon uh, on BBC Northampton, and then Saturday early afternoon on BBC Radio Suffolk as well. Um, you can buy a couple of my books on Amazon about uh, the comedy genius that is Rick there and Al Pacino, which I don't have a poster up at the moment about. Um, Makes a change. Yeah, it does make a change, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, do you know what? I thought I'm coming on here. I think it's only fair that I put Rick on there doing that because, you know. the, the, the you doing it. Yeah, well, the lost art of the V sign, to be honest with you, you know. Um, so I, I think that's it. Um, there, there's probably more bits. But I'm still waiting on the next post to go up on um, exclamation mark. Oh, you. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, who, <laughs> Speechless. Who interview? The problem is, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'll interview somebody, but you know, nobody's doing that much, I guess, at the moment in terms of bigger things. But also, I have been working on some behind-the-scenes stuff that's sort of taken my time, which hopefully I can announce at some point. So I've sort of been working on other bits during all of this, basically. Fair enough. Um, Michael P. Mark needs to be a guest once a month. I agree. And Aaron Neighbors, nice seeing you, Mark. I mean, I'd like to get you on the same kind of um, show that we do with, like, um, uh, Russ Burlingame and um, uh, Mike Avelia. Having the three of you together would be a nice little uh, – that would be – interesting conversation but we have ourselves a fair old guest list coming up so might as well uh, very quickly talk about that um yes my word am i particularly happy about the uh, the guest list um that we've got um down the line considering that let me see if i can just uh, bring up uh, who we've got montenero we've had that was fun milton lawson is going to be our show uh, next week um which is uh um, a very interesting writer. He's got lots of projects on the uh, the card, so it's going to be fun to talk to him. We've got Story Worlds, which is, <laughs> get this, a new UK comics publisher. Um, that's 
you know, um, that's a bold thing to do uh, in 2020, uh, to actually put yourself out there and be a new comics publisher. Um, the people that they've got involved as well, including Ramsey and Julian Parry, uh, they're people that aren't kind of just riding on the toe-tails of uh, Watchmen and uh, Alan Moore and um, Dave Gibbons and the um, great creators of the 80s. They are looking at doing stuff in 2020. It's a very contemporary um setup and i'm very excited to talk to uh, story worlds uh, max kedney is the guy who's put it together he's not necessarily from the comics world although he has written a couple of the titles that are coming out um he's more from films and television um it's going to be an interesting conversation looking forward to talking to uh, to that uh, bunch vault comics um, directly after uh, which is uh, with damien and adrian russell and uh, david disanyaki um Vault is a, a, a publisher which has just gone from leaps, leaps and bounds and has embraced a number of the UK talent at the moment. Um, they are being incredibly, incredibly bullish about the books they're putting out, and uh, it's been it's been fun to watch Vault grow from strength to strength. So, looking forward to that. Yes, Scotty Young is still scheduled to be a guest. Um, We'll see how that goes. I mean, I'm hoping to actually convince him to actually do some artwork on the show because uh, I know that he's not necessarily uh, a big fan of being on podcasts. So hopefully we'll get him to do stuff while he's actually on air and have him talking while we're, we're having on. Uh, Mark Serby may be aware of the next or the, the, the last guest of uh, November, uh, which is Mike Ciccini, who is the um, editor-in-chief of Den of Geek. Um, so it's going to be interesting to talk to him, uh, especially about pretty much what we've been talking with Mark. Uh, if, any, if anything, Mark, if you're free on uh, that particular evening, um, to have you on that and to kind of uh, talk. Because uh, to have Mike, uh, this is on the 22nd of November, same drill, to kind of talk about the landscape and see how things have changed in a month. What What else am I doing? It's a good, it's a good point. Um, I mean, what else am I doing? Um, yeah. Uh, the only reason why I do this podcast is because I've got nothing else to do. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, so there we go. Right. Um, but that's our guest list. Um, we've got some fantastic names coming up. Uh, in there, by the way, in between Vault and Scotty Young on the 13th of November, we're going to be talking to Heather Antos on the Thursday. Heather, of course, is the um, a, a former editor for Marvel Comics, um, possibly somebody whose name has more weight in terms of the controversy that has followed her along but i'm a big fan of her work especially what she's done with uh, valiant so looking forward to talking to um to her on the 13th of november looking forward to that so there you go that's our sh uh, lineup um thank you very much indeed for joining us today um i would want to uh, thank again um some uh, uh, very important people which is our, our patreon supporters um these are people who just allow us to keep doing what we do. Um, and I really want to say thank you to all of them. We've got several tiers, but everyone who's in the Darjeeling, which is about, I think it's $5 and above, these are people who are allowing us to keep doing. Um, <laughs> Aaron Neighbors, will I be drinking a milkshake when Heather is on? That could be a little bit insensitive, but um, <laughs> you're not the only person to have suggested it. Uh, so <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Thank you very much indeed to everyone who jumps on patreon.com slash Englishman STCC. Uh, I really appreciate all the uh, the support that you give us. 
So there you go. That's our show. Thank you so much indeed to Montenero um, for coming on and talking about his project. Thank you very much indeed to Mark for coming on and talking about the London Film Festival and Walker Stalker. Can I just say something quickly? Go for it. They've just announced the winners of the London Film Festival, as in oh. Best Film, Best Documentary, etc. Uh, best Film went to the new Mads Mikkelsen film called Another Round. Um, yes, I watching Mads, Mads Mikkelsen getting shit faced for ninety minutes. Um, oh, yeah. it was glorious! It was glorious! <laughs> it was fantastic! I mean, and then it's, right the end, it's, like, it's like the Guinness advert that he did, except he actually got shit faced. Yeah, and right at the end, there's a musical number. I mean, who doesn't want that? So there we go. Brilliant. Oh, congratulations to Mads Mikkelsen and indeed the whole team uh, for that film. Fantastic. Um, I said it at the beginning, um, and I'll say it here at the end. Um, today, the 18th of October, marks the birthday of an Englishman in San Diego. We, uh, I created the website, created the YouTube channel, and put everything together. Uh, launching this day uh, seven days, seven years ago. Um, how it's grown, the people that I get to speak to, uh, including Mark. I mean, everyone else can go jump, but it's great to talk to Mark as the pinnacle of uh, the, the people I get to speak to. Um, it's been a roller coaster ride. Um, it's been <laughs> an accident in some places. I mean, how we've managed to grow the show over the course of lockdown still baffles me. Um, but the fact that it's kind of come together and the community still joins us each week to talk about this stuff, um, I'm heartfelt thanks to everyone who continues to support us and just watch us and keep doing what we do. Um, we'll keep doing it as long as you keep watching and keep reading and keep doing uh, following us along. Whether we'll uh, be able to do it in public, as in uh, conventions again. Fingers crossed we'll get that sooner rather than later. Um, the other thing that I want to uh, remind people is that I am still doing stuff for other conventions. I did um, a video for the Lakes International Comic Art Festival last weekend. Um, that's going to be a little bit more available uh, beyond that weekend uh, coming up, which was a launch video for a project called Breakthrough. Search for it online, find out more about Breakthrough Our Time, which is an anthology for creators that wouldn't necessarily uh, get uh, a voice in comics. So we've got uh, someone who did a story on Black Lives Matter, story on Brexit, um, story on uh, um, disabilities, and um, also uh, the uh, Extinction Rebellion movement. There's a lot of stuff in there which was fascinating. Um, it's an exciting project. Do, do search that out. And I'm going to be doing a number of projects and panels for the Thought Bubble Festival, which is barreling down the pipe as well, three, four weeks away. Uh, so expect to see my face popping up on a couple of panels uh, for uh, Thought Bubble in about three weeks' time. And I may be contributing as well to Mainframe, but we'll see how that goes. I'll keep doing what I do as long as you keep watching. And uh, I'd like to thank everyone for uh, your support. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Um, once again, this will be going up on our audio podcast tomorrow, and then the full episode will be uploaded on YouTube as of Wednesday, uh, and we'll be back again next Sunday, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT, for another Talking Con, a cup of tea in Richmond Sunday. From myself and from Mark, take care, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>
This has been Talking Com, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. This has been a production of the Convention Collective. Follow all the pop culture and convention news at theconventioncollective.com and support the podcast at patreon.com slash englishmanstcc.